Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. From coast to coast, border to border, and around the world, you're going online with Bill Alexander. Laugh and learn while you listen to a brilliant display of radio. Online, Online. with Bill Alexander. Bill Alexander. Good day, everyone. Yours truly, William Eric Alexander. All my friends call me Bill, and you're online with Bill Alexander. Hope everything's going fine for you on this wonderful day. Have a great interview scheduled, but I have to uh, relay this compliment I got about 15 minutes ago. So, and it was from my 21-year-old son. So I, I was like shocked when it happened. So I have to share this. So my son is in the uh, performance of Sound of Music tonight, the live stage adaptation that's happening in my area. And he was on the radio this morning doing a live in-person interview in him and the cast. And he plays uh, Ralph Gruber. He's the one that sings 16 going on 17. But anyhow, he calls me, he goes, Dad, did you listen? I said, yeah, I listened. How did it sound? I said, it sounded good. And he stopped at the end of the conversation. He's going, Dad, I wish it was you that were interviewing me. And I just stopped going, Wow, I that's the first time ever he's wanted that. So it was it was my compliment of the day. So I was very happy with that. But anyhow, on the phone line right now, I love these types of guests because I love doing the research. <laughs> especially when they're just pictures and you go back to do it because it's like, wow, I remember who this is. But she was a Playboy Playmate in the 1990s. She was uh, on the cover in March of 90 and also of April of 90. Her name is Deborah Driggs. Deborah, how are you doing today? Hello, hello. Thank you so much for having me. And I am doing just fantastic sitting here looking at the Getty Center because there's clear skies. It's just beautiful here in Los Angeles. So yeah, I'm doing great. And I was kind of laughing for a couple of reasons. One, it's always a compliment when our children uh, say things like that to us. I I was kind of chuckling to myself because I have three. I have a 27, 26, and 24-year-old. And I was you know, it just takes me right back to those teenage years oh, when yeah. everything we did was, like, embarrassing, you know. <laughs> well, <laughs> And then they become adults, and all of a sudden we're not quite as embarrassing. We're still a little. And then, you know, as we, as it, you know, we go through these different phases. So good for you that your son acknowledges, you know, what you do and how important it is, right? Yeah. Um, actually, you and I are about the same age, and I have three kids. Uh, my oldest is 21. My youngest is going to be 14, and I have a middle one stuck in there at 17. So I'm still going through those teenage years 
with the last two. And teenage oh, years, yeah, you're in the throes. <laughs> teenage years with a girl, especially starting out, boy, is that different than boys. But anyhow. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Night and day. So as I said when I started this and mentioned the audience who I'm talking to, I love doing interviews like these because I can go back and look at pictures. And let me tell you, there's a lot of pictures of you from the 90s on the Internet. And let me tell you yeah. one thing. When I realized who I was going to talk to, I went online, looked at your um, the Playboy spread that you did, and I'm going, I remember her. I remember her very well. So I went through my garage. I have a box of them, and there you were in the middle of my mix of the magazines that I had. Well, you want to hang on to that because now that Donald Trump is on the cover yes. of my issue, it is now a collector's item, and this is how ironic and you know the universe works in mysterious ways but i get more fan mail today than i did in 1990 i i get so much fan mail because it's it's now everybody's going back to look at everything that really he's been doing right. and all the interviews that he did and so now it circles back around and it's a collector's item and i i actually went online because i thought you know i should i should purchase a few for my collection and they're going almost close. Some some sites are selling them for five, six hundred dollars. Wow. So you hang on to that. Yeah, I, I will do that. I I'm going to go put it in a plastic sleeve as soon as we're done here because I didn't realize they were worth that much. Now, yeah, I I, I had the opportunity about a year and a half ago to interview a more recent actually she's a playboy model right now she is from australia had the opportunity to interview her and it's interesting to talk to someone that is much younger because when i ask you this question i think the answer is going to be different and the question is when you posed for playboy in the 90s was there a stigma to it because i don't think there is one today there is not one today and yes there was so it was, you know, I shot my centerfold in, in 1989, right. you know, six, six, seven months before it actually came out, you know, you do all the shooting and, and then by the time it's published and they decide what month you're going to be. So yeah, I shot mine in 1989 and I actually sat down with my agents at the time and my manager and I said, is this going to, is this going to help or ruin my career? And they said, we have no idea. Oh, and that's exactly right. I mean, they, it, it was one of those things, and I don't know if you remember this, but I'll share with you that Julie McCullough was a playmate. I believe she was in 1986 or 7, and she got a, uh, a re role on Growing Pains with Kurt Campbell. Oh, I do remember that, yes. Yes, and she was actually really good, very talented, and, you know, just did really well on the show. And they cut her loose when they found out she was a centerfold. And I remember that. And, and so when I got offered Playboy, I remember having those thoughts like, oh, God, you know, this because, you know, you have to understand the, mod the type of modeling I was doing prior to Playboy was very wholesome. Mm -hmm. You know, I was doing a lot of catalog work for jewelry companies. And I did some, you know, I did body gloves and some swimsuits and Ocean Pacific and but mainly, I was doing, like, when you open the Sunday paper, I was that girl, you know, for Macy's in, a, in, a, in, in clothes. I was doing that kind of modeling, catalog modeling. And so I thought, wow, all my clients are going to drop me. 
you know, all the people that I've been working for for years. And so I, I definitely had to mull it over and, and make that decision of, you know, which way my career was going to go. And I thought, you know, I'm going to go for it because it was kind of handed to me on a silver platter. And back then, Playboy was the number one magazine in the world. And I remember when I made the decision to actually do it, and I was in the makeup room, and the makeup artist, was we were talking about it, and she said, you know, Deborah, Playboy gets over a thousand submissions a day mm-hmm. from girls all around the world that are trying to get in the magazine. And I, it kind of hit me in, in that moment, and I thought, you know, this is, this is history. I'm going to be a part of history. Because only 12 girls get selected a year, so it is kind of a big deal. And and like I said, it was the number one magazine in the world, and what Hef had created was a vision. And, and he kind of stuck to his guns about what that vision was going to be. And so I, you know, I, I, made, I made that choice and went down that road. And I have to say, you know, did, did it hurt my career? Not really, because... You know, where one door closes, another one opens, and I had the privilege then of meeting a whole different, you know, I, I, I started getting in with so many different casting people, and all of a sudden I was being asked to meet with producers about films, and, and I got asked to be on the Oprah Winfrey show, and I got asked to do the Bob Hope special, which was so ironic, because... I, I did the Bob Hope special in Alcapulco, and the star of that special was Kirk Cameron, the <laughs> same person that had Julie, Julie McCullough fired. Uh-huh. And I thought, you know, here we are. It's all very serendipitous. So so we just never know. You know what? You know, it was a choice that I made. But today, are you kidding? You can see way more than what you saw in 1989 <laughs> on social media today. Yes. So. You know, Playboy is super tame compared to what's out there now. Now, and and that's where I'm going next because the model I spoke to before, her name is Jasmine Sojai, and we spoke, and she had a tattoo on her. Would they have put you in the magazine if you would have had a visible tattoo anywhere? Well, that's a very interesting question, and I'll tell you why. And back when I was modeling from 1983 to, to up until Playboy, you know, I, a lot of the times and people would say, oh, they just want to see you naked. And I'd go, no, here's the thing. A lot of the ghosties, especially for swimwear and lingerie or anything that would show your body, they would say, please bring a bathing suit or something you feel comfortable in. We need to see your body. Okay. And the reason was, is because they were looking for tattoos, birthmarks, piercings, you know, anything they had to see because back then it was a different world. There wasn't, you know, the, the filters or the airbrushing that they do today. They didn't, back then it was much different and it was more raw. So, yeah, tattoos was a very big thing in, in the 80s, for sure. And so... I think that if 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 you were going to get hired, they probably if 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 it was worth it and they really wanted to use you, right. I think they would just cover, cover it up. Okay. Now the other thing I want to ask, since this is a family friendly show, I'm going to do it in a very delicate way because I noticed. 
the way we've changed in society, when we look at a female, we are noticing that they are now, quote unquote, hairless, except when you took them, you did. Now, I'll be honest with you. I, I like your photos better than what I see today. Do you did you never think that change was going to happen where we went from what you look like to what they look like now? Um, you know, I think I saw the progression happening. And as a matter of fact, I kind of wrote a book about it called Hot Pink. And it was about pubic fashion and primping and grooming. And, you know, I, 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 I wrote this book because it was what it was. Com- what, what started happening was in the 90s. It became kind of like I, I think it, there was a quote in Sex in the City where she says it's just as important what you do down there. You know, mm-hmm. is what you do, you know, with makeup hair. It became kind of this social discussion. And there were these people in L.A. And I remember, like, you could go and have a Mercedes emblem or a designer emblem. You could have these things waxed into that area. And then, you know, of course, the landing strip became really popular. And now it's like it's just all completely lasered and gone. Right. And so, um yeah, no, I, I, you know, I saw the progression, and like I said, I wrote a book about it. But it's very interesting to me because now everybody's going back to supernatural. Yes. As a matter of fact, in the last, gosh, I'm going to say five years of Playboy, I was even saying girls don't have implants anymore. It's all back to the whole natural, just how you are. You know, there's no. Uh, uh, boob jobs or waxings or it's just kind of natural looking now. I, I'm kind of happy that it's going back to that. Now, that way. The, it's, more, the, the, it's more realistic for the world. Right. <laughs> One more question. When you posed for Playboy, how was your family's reaction to doing that? Well, I'm really fortunate in that I have a family that is very open-minded and very you know, there was no judgment. Okay. There wasn't, you know, I, I think there was certain family members in certain parts. Like I have, you know, on my father's side, you know, they come from a very small town in Washington State called Moses Lake. And it's a very small town. And my grandfather was pretty famous in that town. He was a very famous farmer and he had won awards and he, he was breeding racehorses. And so a lot of people knew him. And so for for that part of my family, I think it was a little bit like, oh, okay, that's nice. You know, they didn't really talk about it too much. Okay. But the other side of my family was just, you know, it wasn't, there was no judgment. It was, it was just, I, I honestly really don't even know. I never, you know, today I'd be like, so what do you think about that? <laughs> back then I didn't ask, you know, and it was just kind of my choice and i think i think because of my personality and my identity i think you know they were already used i think it would have been different let me put it this way it would have been different if it was the first thing i did in hollywood but because i had been working since 1983 and i was like they already saw me i was on a show called the fashion network and they already saw me on in catalogs and i was in the fedco catalog every week and I, you know, they'd open the Sunday, you know, so they were used to me kind of being out there. Okay. And I had already been, and I had already been doing commercials. So I had commercials running. 
I think that if Playboy would have been the first thing that I had done, it may have been a little bit of a shock to the system. But I think, you know, my family had a warm up to it. Now, the other question I have at your age right now, if Playboy came to you and said, we'd like to have you pose again and maybe want to do some type of a retro special or something like that, would you do it? I feel I feel sexier today at 57 than I I didn't even know what I was about at at 25 you know I didn't who knew you know like I I, for me it was more it was very stiff and very awkward and I was a kid and you know it, it you know thinking back on that it's like I didn't I had no clue what, what, what I was about. I mean, I'm not even, I'm such a different version of myself today that it would be a completely different photo shoot. And I, and again, I, I think that's, that's fantastic. That really is. So Deborah, you have this website and I love the quote on it. Aging gracefully as a full-time job. What do you mean by that? Well, I'm being very, ironic and sarcastic at the same time it's you know because aging gracefully is really a lot of work it's a lot of work inner inner work to age gracefully it's a lot of work you know i i i say this a lot there's a lot to think about as you're getting older you know it's like are we eating right are we using the right products you know are we're losing collagen oh my god i better drink a collagen shake every day Oh my God! And now I got to start going to the chiropractor and getting adjusted twice a week. And you know, and it's and to me, it's just it's funny. It's like it really does become a full time job if you want to do it gracefully. And I'm I've always kind of been of the mindset that I'm going to look as as young as I feel. And so I really strive to feel young and have young, young spirited thoughts. And I try to keep that mindset that I'm just as old as I feel and how I think. And so, and I'm trying really hard to avoid any type of major cosmetic surgery or work or anything that would distort how I look. And I'm trying to kind of keep, keep my, myself, you know, do I go and do laser treatments? Do I go and do you know, a little Botox here and there. But I have really found, to be honest, that Botox doesn't even really work that well. It does, you know, it's kind of like a a quick fix. So I'm, you know, listen, I'm open and I'm always listening for what, you know, things are changing rapidly. Like I got really into the oxygen facials and I I believe in getting a vitamin IV, you know, an anti-aging vitamin IV because it goes directly into your cells. And, you know, I, you know, I'm always looking because, that's what's available today. There's so much wellness available today that, you know, I want to take advantage of that. And, and I, you know, I attribute the fact that I am really trying to keep my youthful uh, look and spirit is I attribute it a lot to my exercise, my yoga, my hiking, being in nature, you know, all of that really contributes to 
staying young and doing it gracefully. So to go back to your original question, yes, I, I write that because I find it funny that, you know, to really, to, to age gracefully, it just becomes a full-time job. And, and, and you really, it's like, okay, you got to be on a schedule. You know, I mean, if, if you saw my regimen <laughs> and I'm always like, oh my God, I got to go to the chiropractor. I, you know, I get to, I go to acupuncture. I, I do vitamin IVs. I do oxygen facials. And so when, you know, one day when I was just sitting, I'm like, you know what, this is a fucking full-time job. <laughs> I, I can, I can, I can see why that now, especially for women, for guys, we have it much easier. So yeah, I can understand. Oh, God. Guys. <laughs> have it so much easier you know they do a few things and they look great well the funny thing is for years i've always had my hair cropped short really short so it was easy to take care of well a month ago which i should have done it pre-covid i started letting my hair grow out again and it's like i should have rethought this idea but Again, the idea was as though the gray could actually show because I like that uh, gray at the temples look. But anyhow, that's neither here nor there. But the guys do have it much easier. Um, yeah. So what do you feel? You, let me ask this in a, a, a nice way. What do you feel your purpose is um, from here on out, from 57 years and on? What a great question. It's fully loaded. You know, it's like. Gotta, when you go into the future, what is my purpose? Well, I can just tell you that my purpose is to live each moment, you know, fully in the present. It is to be of service to things outside of myself. It is to continually write. So I write every day. I write a weekly blog. I my purpose is to publish my story in the hopes that, you know, maybe that might help somebody out there who's struggling or going through something similar that I went through. I feel that we all have a story to share. And, and it's also to really, really be more centered and authentic in my family life and be there for my kids and their future family life and you know to just be grateful you know and and know that i don't take this for granted i've you know in the last three months i lost three acquaintances one was a really good friend Mm -hmm. and you know i've lost people you know in the last five years and and i don't take it for granted one of the women that i lost that was an acquaintance and a friend and a group that were both mutually in a mutual group and she was my age. And, you know, so I don't take it for granted anymore that if I wake up every day, it's a good day, you know. And so I feel really blessed that I'm healthy and there's really nothing to complain about, you know. So I try. My purpose is to live in a grateful state and be of service. I keep it real simple. What I think is interesting, and, and it has to do with perspective. I remember when I was in my 20s that, that 50, 55, and 60 seemed so old. Now that I'm here, I feel that it's not as old as I thought it was going to be. And looking further down the line, I realize it's not numbers. It's a mindset. And if you keep a young mindset, you're perfectly fine. Yes, absolutely. And and it takes practice. You know, I mean, it's. I, do I have a bad day? Do I have an off 
off situation or do I have something that kind of, you know, makes me fall back into an old pattern or something? You know, these are things that you learn. Like I said, it's aging gracefully, but these are things that you learn. You know, I've made some really horrible mistakes. I've had failures. And in those times, that's where the growth has taken place. You know, that's where the growth became available. I was like, oh, okay, I, what am I, what am I here to learn from this situation? You know, this, you know, this situation happened to show me something or teach me something. What is it? You know, and exploring that and having the grace to explore those things today. Where in my 20s, I just kind of stomped over it. You know what I mean? <laughs> There's no grace. You know, when you make mistakes in your 20s and you're just kind of like, okay, no, moving on, next. Right. Where now, you know, I, I can kind of go, okay, this feels familiar. What was my lesson? Oh, yeah, okay, this is what I'm supposed to do. And, you know, and then maturity really comes later on in life, too. You know, I made a lot of impulsive decisions in my 30s. And then I realized in my 40s, you know, this isn't working. I got to slow this down and start. You know, that was one of the, you know, people say, what, what lesson did somebody teach you that was of value? And mine was when somebody said, you know, don't make any decisions until you sleep on it. And that was one of the most brilliant lessons for me. And the best advice that I really received was sleep on it. Don't make a decision unless you have slept on it, because I, th- th- it really is true. When you wake up in the morning, it's going to look different. Right. And you, and you might make a different decision. So really, just take the time to sleep on it and don't make decisions impulsively. Good advice. So what do you see the purpose of your website for, is for? Well, it was, it, it is to post a weekly blog. And also to engage people in a journey, you know, in a present journey, like what's happening today. It's, it's me being authentic and honest about my journey. It's, my blogs are really like my journal, okay. what I write in my journal, my thoughts. And then it's also, I have three books that, I, that are in the works. One is a book that my grandfather wrote. And he tried to get it published before he before he passed. He was from the Basque country in Spain, and so the book is called Son of a Basque. Came to America. He worked on a beet farm, and he fought in three wars as an American citizen. And when he first joined the Army Corps, you know, they wanted to put him in a different category because, you know, he was he spoke Spanish and all of that, but he fought really hard and he wanted to fight as an American and he did and he fought in three wars and he ended up being a tail gunner in World War II and and it's just a beautiful story and so when my grandmother passed I asked her if I could have the rights to the book and and if I could get it published Mm -hmm. which she said she would love for me to do that so I'm doing it I'm self-publishing it I started a my own publishing company called Crystal Woods Publishing and so that's the first book that will be published. I'm going to publish my memoir, and then I'm going to do a book of blogs, which is all the blogs that I've written. I've written over 50 blogs, so I'm going to just publish them. Um, and, so, and and I want to make an invite right now. When your grandfather's book 
does get published, I'd love to have you back on again. Because that sure, sounds absolutely. very interesting to, to, to hear the story from him through your eyes and interpret it the way you see it happening. Because I've talked to a lot of World War II vets. My, both of my grandfathers were too. And I've talked to a lot of authors who have done the same thing you have, whose father has passed away, who wrote, they wrote a log or a blog or journals, I should say, back then, and they published the journals. And it's very interesting to read some of that information that they were able to give. Now, on your blog site, it says here, and I, and I love this because you're talking about your writing. Um, hard truth. I've been avoiding writing a blog for many reasons, but mainly it comes down to total fear. I keep saying I'm not a writer. People will not take me seriously, etc., etc., what made you change your mind? What do I have to lose? I'm 57 years old. If I'm going to fail, then I'm going to fail big. Okay. And if one person reads it, then it's worth it. And if nobody reads it, then it's just for me. Okay. And, you know, and I'm 57 and, you know, I'm still modeling. I'm still acting. I just spent, completed a film called Neon Bleed. And... What a gift that I'm 57 and I can still be creative and still do things. And I'm not going to tell myself any longer, well, you can't, that's not, you're not a writer. <laughs> you know, you can't do that. And the truth of the matter is, if I write two hours a day, guess what? I'm a writer. That's right. Um, and before I and, talk. And just to clarify, and just to clarify, so Son of a Bass is, is written as a fiction historical okay and it is written it was written by my grandfather and i have not changed anything in the book i read this book twice and said not only am i going to self-publish it because i want it out there but i'm also going to make it into a screenplay because oh, the stories are unbelievably i mean they're just you, you, you I, I, I could go on and on. I mean, he worked at San... He was a prison guard at San Quentin. The stories, you know, I mean, just, you know, just all the things that he did, sacrificing to raise his family, uh -huh. my grandmother. He, he met my grandmother in London, so she was a war bride, and there's a whole story about war brides. And they got married and had my mom. So my mother is British. My mother was born in England. And so, and they got chased out of Mexico before, you know, when he was a kid, they got chased out of Mexico by Pancho Villa. There's a whole story about that. So just all this historical stuff that happened and, you know, and it's all, it's all his writing. And really, the, I just got, I just got back the edited version and we didn't change anything. We just, oh, wow. you know, made sure everything was in sync, but it, I'm not changing a word. So when I and I, I want to talk about your acting career here um, in a few moments, but I again I was looking at your blogs, and I, I looked through them, and your most recent one I thought was very interesting because you came um, from a you didn't come from a lot, and no. you were you were um, worried about money. You you felt that anybody that would take money that didn't deserve it was a gold digger and stuff like that. These stories that you remember, that you write, have they been 
jaded because of the of the time that has passed, or do you remember them like they were yesterday? No, it's you know what's interesting about it is so the preparation that I do to write, I usually sit for a few minutes, I'll set an intention, I'll think about what I want to write, and then I kind of I ask for guidance. You know, I don't I don't you know, and then I let the cards fall where they may. And sometimes as I'm writing, I'll, I'll have a memory. And I'm like, you know, that's pertinent to what I'm writing about. And so in that one that you're talking about, I mentioned my best friend growing up. And, you know, I remember just being so jealous because her family, it seemed like they were extremely wealthy and and, and, you know, she got everything she wanted. You know, she was taken shopping all the time. Her mom bought her, you know, five pairs of shoes at once. I had one pair of shoes, you know, and this, but she was my best friend. But that was what I thought wealthy was. Meanwhile, you know, here's the truth of that situation. Her mother was obese. Her mother was a smoker and wasn't healthy. Mm-hmm. You know, her dad really didn't, wasn't there a lot of the time. And so, but I wasn't looking at that. So the definition of wealthy, and I'll probably write a follow-up blog to this, is what is the definition of what is wealthy? You know, when, you know, that's why I said today I consider myself wealthy and having money is great. Believe me, if I have a choice to have money or not have money, of course, I, I want to have money. It's money is beautiful. Money creates opportunities. Money is about giving back. Money is a spiritual game. But my definition of wealthy isn't what it was when I was a kid. You know, I thought that was wealthy. And it, it that was just having money. Wealthy is when you have your health and you have love and you have the opportunity to give back. And, and so I just remember, you know, in the story that really kind of I sat with and I thought about it because... I took offense to it because when I got divorced, you know, I struggled a lot with my husband and, you know, we didn't have a lot of money. I didn't leave my marriage with a big divorce settlement or, you know, this big alimony check. And, and I remember people judging me and saying, oh, she's, she's going to go find a, a wealthy man to take care of her. She's a gold digger. And I, I remember, I remember like hearing that and I remember just laughing because I worked really hard in my marriage. So, you know, I did a lot of things in my marriage to create wealth. And I thought, isn't that interesting? You know, and 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 ironically, you know, I'm kind of that hopeless romantic. I'm always falling for the guy uh-huh. that that I love and not that can take care of me. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. I wish I could fall in love with a billionaire. That's great. <laughs> I haven't really found one yet. That's why I said I've yet to find my gold mine because, <laughs> you know, I, I just, I was never comfortable with being with somebody for that reason. Okay. That just seems like a, hor- a horse trading situation. You... You said something that caught me off guard, and I want to ask you again. What did you call your ex-husband? A husband. I love that. I've <laughs> never heard that term before. And I heard it. I'm going, wait a minute. I like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because it just sounds so much better than right. my ex-husband. You're right. You're right. 
That is that is fantastic. So, um, and, and it's funny. I don't, we only have about ten minutes left, and I have a, a, a million more questions for you. So, I want to talk about your acting career right now. And you're in a new movie called Neon Bleed. Now, yeah. what is it about? So I I play the mother of a rock star. I I died. I OD'd and died of an overdose. And so I come back in flashbacks okay. during the movie. Yeah. And that's about really all I can say about it because it's, you know, obviously not released yet. But mm-hmm. but that's basically, you know, my part. And um, and it's, it's a beautiful movie about the trials of being a, a rock star. When will it be released, do you know? Uh, I do not have a date on that. Um, I I will know more when I when I attend the. It just wrapped. The filming just wrapped a week ago. So when I go to the wrap party, I'm sure I'll have a better idea. Um, I'm what's on. Interesting as well. But here's here's what I love about the serendipity of all of this and how life is just so beautiful and it's such a gift if you really take a, if you stop and really sit for a minute and take a look at connecting the dots. And that's another blog I wrote, by the way. But anyway, so um, go on, go on. about it is that, is that while I was filming, I got to know the director and he and I have been meeting on the side. And I said, have you ever thought about doing a documentary? And he's like, oh, yeah, I w- I'd love to do a documentary. And I, I said, well, we should do a documentary of my life because I can't think of a documentary right now of any playmate that's actually done a documentary on where they grew up, what their life was like, and how Playboy changed it, or 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 what 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 you don't know about me as a playmate, right. you know, type of documentary. And he's like, "Oh my God, I love that!" And I'm like, "Yeah, I think you know we could do something really cool, especially since I'm born and raised. I'm from LA. You know, we could do a whole a whole thing." And so we had a couple meetings, and so you know that's what I love. It's like I didn't just you know, I showed up and I did did what I was hired to do. But then, you know, I thought I'm gonna take it a step further. I mean, maybe there's maybe we could work together again and and do some type of documentary. I love documentaries. I'm really into documentaries. I, I you know, if I if I do turn the TV on, it's usually to watch something of that nature oh. because I'm always, you know, I'm into reading autobiography. I'm reading a great book right now. Uh, Daryl Hammond, the, the, the comedian from Saturday Night Live. Yes. It's a book called God, If You're Not Up There, I'm Fucked is the name of the book. And and it's just an amazing story. And I'm, I'm intrigued by that. I'm intrigued by people who go through suffering and they have success and and then maybe go through more suffering and then you know it's like it's like it's like these constant waves that you ride and i'm i'm intrigued by people that ride those waves and come out on the other end and so it's it's inspiring to me and it's kind of what my book and my documentary i hope does for other people what i what i think is interesting and you make about the playboy of a documentary of a playmate basically about you Anytime we see anything like that, we always see the the tragedy side of it. We never see the positive 
of someone using that as a as a springboard to jump into a career or to move on. We always see the downside, how this happened to them and that. And I think coming from you and working with him, I think that would be refreshing because I think that it would give the viewer an understanding that there were a lot more like you than like the ones that we've seen that have not done very well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because, you know, I mean, there's the Dorothy Stratton, right. Dorothy, you know, that story. And then, you know, there's been a few more along the way and Anna Nicole and, and you know, but really, you know, it's it's an interesting industry. You know, it's an interesting industry. And, and you know, I think that it's fun to reinvent and start over. And I, I think it's interesting that my life has gone through such a a cycle that I am now right back where I started. <laughs> you know, I'm like, right back. It's like, wait, it's almost like, you know, having a map and getting lost and going, no, I'm heading north. And then it's like, wait a minute, this is right where we started, uh-huh. you know? And it's like, that's kind of how I feel. I feel like I, 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 I made the loop and I'm right back, same place, same time, just another decade, you know, like years later. And I'm back in a business that, I probably took for granted in my 20s and didn't really look at the business side of it at all. I was just a kid, you know, like, hey, I'm on TV. Hey, I'm on a magazine. Hey, look at this. Hey, it was all ego driven, you know. It was all ego driven and it was all, you know, fun and games. And now I'm an adult and I go, okay, this is a business. Right. And there's a professionality to it. And that's why, that's why certain people get paid certain money because they, they get that. They get that it's a business, and they show up and they do the work, and 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 it's it's not easy, you know, it's not an easy business. Well, a lot of self discipline. Deborah, thank you very much for joining me again. I'm going to have to have you back on because we really didn't touch on your 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 new memoir that's going to be coming out, and about and your grandfather's book too. So I, I would love to have you back on the program again so we can dig into that more and um, some of the other things that you are doing too. But again, thank you very oh, much for you. joining me. I really had a pleasure. Thank you. No, it's my pleasure, and I'm I'm just so thrilled that you you read my blog. So you're that one person that read my blog. Yay! <laughs> and I feel so honored that you took the time to read it. And thank you for allowing me this time, and um, and taking the time to hear my story. Well, again, thank you very much, and and we'll be in touch to uh, get you back on the program again real soon. Thank you very much. I look forward to it. Yay. All right. (laughs) Bye, everyone. Thank you. Well, that's going to wrap up today's edition of Online with Bill Alexander. A big shout-out and thank you to Deborah Driggs for joining us, and also Deborah Driggs' website, which we didn't mention, was DebraDriggs.com. That will be in the description of the podcast. Guys, you have a great one. We'll talk to you next time here Online with Bill Alexander. This has been a Million Dollar Baby production. For more information, go to italknet.com. Temple University is ranked among the top 50 public universities in the U.S. Through hands-on learning opportunities and world-class faculty, Temple students are prepared to soar in their careers. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. visit